strap on the boots and scrape up the knuckles. Oh, what a hit! He got jacked. This is the Big Red Raid. Presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Murray's going to score! Touchdown! Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. <laughs> the Rage is brought to you by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Are you Santan Ford? State Farm. Talk to an agent today at 800-STATE-FARM. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Vision blurring, rage taking over. Here's Paul Calvisi. Get the popcorn ready. It's going to be a show. And Ron Wolfley. It doesn't get any better than that. Unleash the fury! Our flag here on the Big Red Rage. Regal and majestic in its splendor, Ron Wolfley. Okay, Paul. It flies half staff tonight in honor of a season that has passed now it lived a life longer than any season before it since 2015 but the end the very end was abrupt and grisly it wasn't a matter of what the 11 wins the playoff spot it was a matter of how how you got there how you suffered losses in five of the last six so Maybe at some point here, you know, we're all going to put the rage into Big Red Rage tonight. And and that's okay, because you know what? In my book, it just means we care. Yes. We're invested. That's right, Paulie. And you know, it's, that too. It, it's, you know, you don't want the apathy, okay? So, so that's my piece here off the top of the Big Red Rage, brought to you by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. Now, I... My game plan says it's Ron Wolfley's job to bring some big red perspective and analysis. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, Paulie, right now, um, seven and zero happened as well. Seven and zero happened, and ten and two happened, and that's the part that gets me, Paul. That is the part I think it is the expectation that I allowed myself to have when they were ten and two and had the best record in the National Football League. I think it was the expectation that I allowed myself to have looking at that team and Kyler Murray and how Kyler Murray was playing. Just the fact, too, that you miss Kyler Murray for three games along with DeAndre Hopkins, and yet there you were at 10-2. and two. I, I Man, it just well, it's a hard thing to think of and then see the way that season ended. Yeah, and that's perfectly acceptable to raise your expectations at that point. Not only were you 10-2 and two and atop all the power poles, you were one of two teams along with Buffalo to spend the entire season at that point. Top five in scoring offense, top yes. five in scoring defense. You were 7-0 and on the road, and every win on the road was by double digits. Yes. So there was a lot to celebrate, and there was a lot to get excited about and, and and bolster those expectations as to what might be coming in January. So it was the December, it was the January that once again is so confounding that it has everyone in the Red Sea asking a two-word question. What happened? What happened, Paulie? Honestly, right now, and I think you, you've got to highlight this once again. You really do because Honestly, right now, if you would have told me the Cardinals would have got out to a good start on the season, I'm not going to throw out any numbers, just a good start, and then they had a 500 
had a 500 finish down the stretch, the second half of the season right there. Um, you know, honestly, Paul, if you won 11 games and finished 11 and 6, what would we all have said? Oh, my goodness. This is just fantastic. The way they went ahead, won five games the first year of Cliff Kingsbury, and then eight games. Yeah, they folded down the stretch. But you know what? Now they won 11 games the third season. If they won 11 games and got into the postseason, we wouldn't be talking like we are now. The problem is they were 10-2. and two. It happened. They were 10-2 and two and then went 1-5, and five, including the playoff game down the stretch. Once again, my thesis statement off the top, it's not the what, it's the how. Yes. It's how you got there. It's, it's that feeling everyone had in L.A. We were there, and, and J.J. Watt, um, let's just say he vocalized it, he capsulized it, and, and you know what? He didn't mince any words when he gave his assessment on 2021. It was a massive failure. I mean, from what we were capable of doing and from what we showed we can do to, to, what, to today, um, there's no other way to describe it than as a failure. Paulie, when I heard that, I have to tell you right now, when I heard that, it gave me hope. <laughs> it really did. It's down in the dumps, and you know I was down in the dumps. As down in the dumps... As I was when I heard J.J. Watt characterize it as a massive failure, I actually had hope. Because, Paulie, the first thing you've got to fix, you you cannot fix unless you tell the truth. You have to tell the truth and you have to characterize it. You know me, Paul. I'm a big Knights Templar guy. I really am, right? But, Paul, I've told you this many times. They believe toughness started with terminology. What you called things, or what you said about things, or how you characterized things, it mattered to the Templars. And I think the blatant truth about 1-5 in five and the 1-5 in five finish culminating on Monday night, you got to call it what it is. And J.J. Watt did that. And that makes me think, if you can tell the truth about what happened, now you can go ahead and fix it. You can, you can confront it, and you can fix it. But you got to start by saying what is true and what happened. If you put a thought bubble over his head while he held that press conference, I think it would have said something along the lines of, I... I just cut my timeline from this massive shoulder injury in half to come back for this. <laughs> you know, it's just it was just abject frustration, obviously, on the part of J.J. Watt. And, you know, I have a bunch of different theories. I advanced some of them in Cardinals Underground. But I'll throw this one out here before we hear from Kyler Murray. And, by the way, Darren Urban is going to be our guest on this edition of the Derp. Big Red Rage. Okay, so it, we'll get in-depth here, believe me. But here's a quick theory, because we did all these Cardinals folktales, and we went back to the 2008 regular season, and we did the snow game and the Cardinals and the state of the Cardinals before they went into that 2008 playoff run all the way to Super Bowl 43, and how the comment from Chris Collinsworth, the worst playoff team in the history of the postseason, et cetera. We remember all that. But what I did not remember were some of the comments from Kurt Warner at the time about how he had to battle his own locker room to let these guys know that making the playoffs is not the end goal. Making a run in the playoffs is the end goal. And he said that was a byproduct of a team, of a roster that had not been to the postseason in quite a long time. Well, the Cardinals just ended the longest NFC playoff drought at six years, from 2015 to 2021. 
And the only working theory I have that's truly feasible and plausible is that perhaps at 10 and 2, Ron Wolfley, everybody said, yeah. We just checked the main box, the main objective this year, which was to make the playoffs take that next step in this progression, and then all of a sudden, they lost that edge. That's the only thing I can truly think of that might sub- – because it happened before, and Kurt Warner had to fight against that in the 2008 season and then literally take that team by the nose and lead them on a playoff run. Yeah, you know, and, and that's why, Paulie, too, though, I was hoping for the reset button. I'm not saying that maybe they took their foot off the gas, that maybe human nature took over, and maybe they got a little complacent. I know that. Hey, listen, 10-2, and two, it happened. It was real. We all saw it. They were the best team in the league after three months of the season, and then they just fell apart. There has to be something yeah. Something you could point to, something that is tangible, and say, this is what happened. Maybe you're right about that, Paul. I I don't know. And look, I'm like you a week ago at this time on this very show. I fully expected the Cardinals to flip that switch. That's what I thought. The reset button was going to be the playoffs. Yes, and and they were going to have that same energy and intensity and edge about them that they had to start the first two-thirds of the season, especially on the road when it's them against the world. And and we did not see the same team that we saw that started 10-2. and two. And after the game, after the playoff loss, 34-11 in L.A., Kyler Murray was, was asked about, well, the immediate future, the near future. Here's Kyler. I haven't really thought about the future or anything like that. I'm trying to, trying to you know, soak all this in. Um, there's a lot of emotions. Um, you know, proud of the team, uh, proud of the way we fought. A lot of disappointment and failure to end the season, but... There's definitely a lot to build on as well. And look, Kyler and the Cardinals were not their best in prime time. They went 0 for 4 yeah. in prime time. Whether it was Thursday night, Sunday night, whether it was Monday night football, 0 for 4. And you know what? Kyler, in those four games combined, had one touchdown pass and six interceptions. Now, a couple wow. of those games were tight. In fact, a lot of those games, the Green wow. Bay game was tight. The Rams game was tight in week 14, obviously, after they got that onside kick and they took it down to the wire. The Colts game was tight for most of the game. But once again, Kyler and the Cardinals were certainly not at their best in prime time. Yeah, you know what, Paulie, honestly, though, when I think of prime time, I, I get what you're saying, the national audience and everything. I I didn't think that was what Kyler Murray was, was going to suddenly look like the Kyler Murray we all know and the way that he can play to me it was the moment it was it was the fact that it was the playoffs that it was one and done a one and done scenario and that's why I fully expected him to come out and light the lamp that didn't happen he he made plays we hadn't seen since his rookie year and that's that's just a fact. Hey, to catch up on past episodes of the Dave Pash podcast, you can follow along via your preferred podcast provider. Get the latest updates updates via Twitter at PashPod on Twitter. All right, Darren Urban is up next. Do you think we have questions? Absolutely. The Cardinals Insider on azcardinals.com. Going to bring some answers next. The Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. back to throw on second and nine. In trouble, moves to his left. 
being chased by Bosa. Now throws it deep across the field near side. Jump ball is caught by Hopkins at the 10 and tackled at the 9-yard line. Kyler Murray threw that ball outside the numbers on the far side to the near sideline. 5.20 to go. Cardinals lead 10-7. Can they put him away? Can they get a touchdown? Snap to Kyler. He throws a fade left side in the end zone. And it is caught for a touchdown by DeHop. DeHop caught it with Josh Norman draped all over him trying to pull the ball away. What a great catch by DeAndre Hopkins. Broke the sickles out on the fade and stabbed the pig out of the air and brought it in. Man, at some point, when you've got dudes who are just better than the other team, that's enough. Ah, the good old days. (laughs) Week five at home. Home win against the 49ers. When you had the dynamic duo of Kyla Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, yeah, he had the nine-yard touchdown just over five minutes to go after the 30-yard reception. Then the Cardinals got the ball back with 4-12 to play. I'm looking at the quick game summary notes here, and they ran out the clock to end the game 17-10. They beat the 49ers to go 5-0 and for the first time since 1974. But what's interesting, Wolf, is after the game, a couple of quotes, Kyler Murray called the offensive performance ugly. It was winning football, but it was ugly. And and as the season went on, other guys noted that, you know what, there were mistakes when they went 7-0, 10-2. But maybe they got glossed over a little bit because after the game, Kyler said something that now proves to be a little cryptic when his quote was, you can't get bored with winning. You can't get bored of doing the little things right. That was Kyler Murray postgame week five. Wow, Bully. So intriguing, is it not? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It really is right here. They've got to answer some of these questions going forward, and that certainly is one of them. What happened, especially down the stretch? Uh, Somebody who's been trying to answer questions in his mailbag at azcardinals.com is is Darren Urban, the longtime Cardinals insider who joins us now. Darren, thanks for your time here on the Big Red Rage, brought to you by Santan Ford and Gilbert. How has it been? How's your mental health after dealing with the mailbag this week? (laughs) Guys, how are you doing? Uh, My my mental health is fine. I mean, uh, you know, the the season was going to end at some point. Uh, You know, obviously everybody's hoping that it's, going to be after the Super Bowl, but, uh, you know, our, our jobs go on. Uh, that's part of it, you know, for me, uh, and that's part of it for the players, too. I mean, uh, you're now in the point where, okay, it's over, um, just like the one week at a time thing of the season where, you know, it's, it doesn't pay a whole lot to look back. It pays to look forward. I think the players now kind of have to refocus on, okay, what – what do we do going forward rather than looking back? But obviously it was a disappointing end of the season. I mean, there's no way of, of getting around that. And, you know, I, I, you, know you, you listen to J.J. Watt right after the game uh, sit up there at the podium and say, called it a massive failure. And, and, and Cliff Kingsbury wasn't going to go there, uh, and, and that might have been in the emotion of the moment, but it, it, it pretty much encapsulated how everybody was feeling that night, I think. So, Derb, how do you fix this? You started, you know, I want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, honestly, it's you know. It's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, where, uh, where do you begin on this? Well, well how, do you, how do you diagnose it first before right. you can fix it? What, what is the problem? Because DJ Humphrey said this week, it was Monday, it was Tuesday after the game, and he was asked about it. He said, well, when you lose that many games, you <laughs> lost something. What is something? 
You know, uh, that's a great question. Uh, Paul, you and I were talking about it on our podcast this week. I mean, there were uh, some people that kind of analyzed the numbers uh, that were saying that some of the success they were having early in the season was not sustainable. And, and, a, and a very basic example, and again, I brought this up with you, Paul, but Wolf, I mean, how many times early in the season especially did they score a touchdown or get a first down when it was third and twelve? third and 14, third and 16. It seemed like they were doing it every single time they were in one of those situations. Yeah. And that's not something you're going to be able to, to pull off for a 17-game season. And that's, that's one example. I, I think the penalties got a little bit worse. There's no question the injuries hurt them. Uh, and, and clearly, I think some of the play regressed, and, and some of that is, is the quarterback. I mean, when you go into a playoff game and the coach says that the quarterback's going to have – his, hopefully his best game of the year, and, and Kyler then talks about being raised uh, to be that kind of player, you're, you're really hoping that he plays better than he did, and he didn't. You know, when it comes to total wins without D-Hop, Kyler and Colt McCoy tied. They both had two. Kyler mm-hmm. won two out of seven games without D-Hop. Colt McCoy won two out of three. So something happened. Now, you still have a quarterback who's going to the Pro Bowl obviously. And after the game, Zach Ertz actually the next day meeting the media, and he was asked asked about 24-year-old Kyler Murray and what he sees. Kyler is the most talented player I've ever been around, and I think the sky is the limit for him. I mean, if he didn't get hurt this year, he's probably winning the MVP. And if you have an MVP caliber quarterback, you're going to have a chance to win a Super Bowl. He puts so much pressure on himself to be great, to win football games, to play great. Um, and that's why I think guys love playing for him. Can I throw out a quick analogy, and you guys can agree or disagree, and I know you will. Here we go. Lamar Jackson. Did Lamar Jackson not have a miserable playoff game or two at the beginning of his career and then rebound and win an MVP plus a postseason game or two? But didn't the very beginning of, of Lamar Jackson of playoff football was ugly, was it not? Yes, you're right, Paulie. And a lot of people wondered, okay, wait a minute, how viable is this guy long-term? Has the NFL figured out Lamar Jackson? It's it's a lot of the same blowback we're hearing now with Kyla Murray. Every quarterback is different, but yeah. Wolf, I, I throw that to you. And, you know, obviously Lamar Jackson had to evolve his game. Is, is the ball now in Kyler's court? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And hopefully the good news here is that Kyla Murray is going to embrace the fact that he's not a finished product and he's got to get better. I fully expect him to embrace that and to get better, whatever it may be in his preparation, get better on the field, get better with decisions, get better with reading coverage, whatever it may be, Paulie. I mean, I believe Kyler is that type of individual. Let's hope that he is, and he embraces the process of getting better right now, and I fully expect him to do that, Paul. The one area I will say, The one thing, guys, when you talk about the Arizona Cardinals, especially this season, when you talk about something being unsustainable, think of how many times they had leads. They they were in the lead almost all the time when you think about it. How many games did they actually have to come back in, Paul? I'm thinking Jacksonville. They had to come back in that game. And then Houston. Houston as well. They got down 5 nothing in that game and had to come but but after that you know before they went on that one and five streak at, to end the season they were all about having leads and getting leads 
There's there's no doubt about it. And, and then and then as far as the playoff game goes, Darren, you know, after the game, Aaron Donald said, and I quote, "I feel like the quarterback wasn't comfortable at all." You know, did the Rams just prove to be a really bad matchup for Kyler and the Cardinals in hindsight? Well, I mean, it was a bad matchup potentially in the playoffs. I mean, obviously they weren't a bad matchup the first time they played uh, in the season when the the Cardinals had their way with them. Um, Now, that was a much healthier Cardinals team than down the stretch. And, again, we're not going to go too far in the injuries because every team's got them, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, obviously the the Cardinals were, were missing a piece, especially on offense, that meant something. But... I, I agree with you. I don't think that Kyler was particularly comfortable in that last game, I, and and I do think there was some uh, echo of what he felt the first time they played uh, the first time they played the Rams on Monday night at the home game where they lost. So, uh, you know, I, I'm very curious to see where it goes with the quarterback. I mean, Kyler, a lot of eyes are going to be on him. I know you were talking about Lamar Jackson. You know, another guy who played pretty poorly in his first three playoff games and two of them were blowout losses was Peyton Manning. Yeah. And uh, obviously that turned out okay. Now, nobody's saying Kyler Murray is going to be Peyton Manning uh, or even have the playoff success of Lamar Jackson, but I do think there's a certain amount of, of leeway we need to give. Now, how much more in, this, in the culture that we live in these days with uh, coaches and organizations making quicker changes, I, I don't know. Um, but I, you know, I, I do think that Kyler has shown enough that you can feel confident that he has a chance to be that guy. But like Will said, I think he has to kind of embrace what he went through, and I, I think he's got to. He, he does have to make some changes. I think to to get better. I don't know what those are exactly. I'm not around him all the time. I don't know what he does in the off season and what his preparation is. Um, but I do think he could probably do things that not only would help his own game, but would help the team around him. Well, here's Kyler uh, on the team around him and all the impending free agents. That's one of those things that, you know, hasn't, you know, it won't sink in until, you know, maybe a couple of days or, or whatever. But, you know, hopefully we can get some of those guys back, you know, if not all of them. So, you know, when you build relationships with these guys, that's, that's always the tough part about sports is uh, here one day, gone the next. So no, I, I love all those dudes. Look, there's a lot of big names. Chandler Jones, James Conner, Zach Ertz, A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, Chase Edmonds, Justin Pugh, you know, Jordan Phillips, Max Williams, Colt McCoy, Robert Alford. There's a lot of names. There, there's no doubt about it. And, and in the next segment, we'll start getting into some of the running back and linebacker questions. But, Darren, when it comes to the receivers in particular, you know, what do you see in terms of weapons, especially at wideout, what do you see for Kyler and the Cardinals? Well, I mean, obviously you need to get DeAndre Hopkins back, and Cliff Kingsbury did say that he felt confident that DeAndre is going to be better in the next month or so, and and he'll be ready to go in the offseason to do what he needs to do. I mean, I don't know what happens. Christian Kirk is is a free agent. A.J. Green's a free agent. I think you might want to get a little bit younger and perhaps get something more, a little bit more explosive. I could see them, uh, you know, potentially trying to find a way to keep Christian Kirk, but maybe finding an, another young guy to, to become that number two and be a little more explosive. I mean, I, I do think you need to be in a position where um, you, you need to get some size. If you keep Christian Kirk, you do have Rondale Moore. You like those guys, um, but you need to be in a, a spot where you have a younger, bigger receiver uh, to make some things happen, especially if you lose somebody like Hop for a, a period of time, you need to be able to do some of those things. 
Yeah, what about the tight end position as well? Zach Ertz, of course, Max Williams, Darrell Daniels. What do you think is going to happen here, D? I think that's a great question. I think Zach Ertz, guys, I mean, he looked like he fit really well into this offense. I'd love to see him be able to stick around. But, I mean, one of the reasons he wanted out of Philadelphia was because they were clearly moving on from him. And one of the reasons they were going to move on from him was because they weren't going to pay him. So you wonder what kind of money he's looking for. And so I think he'd like to be there. I think the Cardinals would love to have him. I think the Cardinals would love to keep Max Williams. But, again, at some point – you're not going to be able to pay everybody. I mean, the, the cap does go up by a significant amount, um, but you also have a handful of guys who are seeing a significant jump in their salaries that are going to eat some of that up, whether it's uh, DeAndre Hopkins or Buda Baker, Buda Baker or even uh, Kyler, Kyler's salary jump. So um, there's going to be some things that you're going, to have to, you're going to have to figure out, and that's going to mean losing out some of the guys that you're probably going to want to keep. O-line. Real quick, Darren, O-line. What sort of priority do you think that'll be, and, and, and what what sort of changes do you foresee up front? I, I think personally that they're probably going to have to look at least for one guard. I mean, I, obviously they like Rodney Hudson. I think Max Garcia did a, a yeoman's job in there, uh, but he was ultimately their third choice to start because they were going to go with Matt, uh, Josh Jones, and then they ended up going with Justin Murray before he got hurt. Uh, so I'm thinking they're going to want to upgrade there. And you don't know what's going to happen with Justin Pugh, who's under contract for next year, uh, but it's for such a large number that I don't know if that's even plausible that they're going to bring him back at that. So does, what does, does he do something with his contract? Do they let him go and they go get somebody else? I don't know. Uh, but I think on the offensive line, guard is going to be the number one priority, and I, and I think they're going to want to upgrade at least one of those spots. And your thoughts on Chandler Jones quickly as well. Chandler's a tough thing. I mean, it feels a lot like the Patrick Peterson situation of last year, but we'll see. I mean, we'll find out what his, his market is, but if, if Chandler Jones isn't here, you better find a pass rusher. Yeah. I, I mean, right now, at, at 23 overall, I'm thinking your number one want, at least, we can argue the needs, but the want at 23, whether that player is there or not, has to be an edge rusher, wouldn't you think? Don't you think that's the clubhouse leader right now, Wolf? Yeah, no, I think there's no doubt about it. You've got to address that position. It all comes down to what a lot of these guys are going to be offered from other teams. Let's face it. I'm thinking either edge rusher or perhaps a number one corner at 23 overall. Byron Murphy can be your number two corner. That would be an ideal situation, obviously, but we'll see. Uh, You know, that's that's down the line in April. Uh, We still have more immediate questions especially with free agency coming in mid-march and darren urban continues with us here the cardinals insider from azcardinals.com on the big red rage presented by santan ford in gilbert Murray in the gun takes the shotgun snap stands looks now backs up goes off his back foot one-handed catch connor over the middle of the 10 inside the 10 and down to the five yard line for an 18 yard game what a grab he does it in back-to-back weeks with one-handed catches go go gadget stab the pig they run connor up the middle he's stuffed but he breaks a tackle and gets into the end zone for a touchdown james connor continues to be one of the best free agent signings maybe ever 
for the Cardinals. They're going to go Wildcat. Jonathan Ward in the backfield with Connor, who takes the snap. Connor runs left. He's down to the five. He keeps the feet moving. James Connor is into the end zone for the touchdown. Yeah, arm tackles aren't bringing down James Conner. He had 18 total touchdowns this regular season, number three in the NFL, 15 rushing touchdowns, number two in the NFL for a Cardinals offense that finished 10th in rushing overall yards per game. And let's not forget, gentlemen, welcome back into the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Yours truly, Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley, and our special guest Cardinals insider, Darren Urban, that the Cardinals were 9-0, and Wolf, when they had 30 or more rushes in a game. Yeah, you know, honestly, their run rate, you know how big I was on that for the first half of the season and actually beyond, I would say the first 12, 13 weeks of the season, their run rate, was right there, top three in the National Football League. It was pretty incredible for an air raid coach, Paul. Yeah. What sort of priority is James Conner uh, this offseason, Darren? I think I know. It's almost a rhetorical question, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I would be shocked if they didn't want him back, uh, but he just scored 18 touchdowns. And, you know, this is a team that in the not-too-distant past – Play, paid a lot of money to a running back, and that did not work out very well at all. Um, and so I find it hard to believe that they're going to be dealing out a tremendous amount of money for a running back. Now, that doesn't mean James Conner is going to be asking for what David Johnson was asking for once upon a time or that he would even get it, but um, these are the things that have to be weighed. And I, and I don't know if that gets figured out before free agency actually starts or if we actually have to get to market. But um, I think they absolutely want James Conner back, and I think if they had their choice, they would probably take them both back uh, if the price was right. But again, that's the big if. And at this point, um, you know, James Conner has already been a free agent once, uh, had to do a one-year prove-it deal here, proved it. So he's going to want his one big payday because that's basically where he is. And Chase Edmonds might be in a position where this is his one big payday. So. Um, you can't begrudge these guys for looking to kind of set themselves up when this is their one chance, especially at the position they play. But um, certainly uh, they were both excellent for the Cardinals. And I, I do believe one of the reasons the Cardinals struggled so much down the stretch is because they ultimately played two games together uh, in the last nine, I think it was. They played together in Detroit. Obviously that didn't go very well. Uh, and then they played together – uh, in the playoff game, even though James Conner was clearly not 100%. Yeah, he was grimacing every time he came off the field, by the way, and he had extra padding around his midsection to protect those injured ribs. So, And then, you know, Kenyon Drake was a great running back upon acquisition, and then the next year wasn't so great, and he ended up leaving for the Raiders. So, Wolf, how do you yeah. see the running back position right yeah, now? Yeah, Paulie, you know what, though? Kenyon Drake never seemed to embody, to me, the physicality and the leadership that the Arizona Cardinals wanted. Um, I'm not saying that Kenyon Drake wasn't a physical player. I'm not saying that he wasn't a a good leader. I'm saying that James Conner was everything that this team wanted to become in the offseason. And then he proved it on the field in how he played. The physicality of James Conner, I think, changed the team. It changed the team. It inspired his teammates that were on the sideline watching him play. I think it even altered Cliff Kingsbury's philosophy. That's just me, Paul, but... 
he wasn't just a playmaker. He was a mentality. Yes. He really was. What what J.J. Watt was to the defense, you know, James Conner was to the offense. Yeah, there's no doubt, and it jacked everybody up. Darren, my question to you would be this right here. Does he want to be paid like he's an every-down back, or is he willing to share the backfield? That would be my question to James Conner. Well, I mean – you just made two different questions of the Wolf. Are you saying, is he willing to share the time, or does he want to get paid like he's not sharing the time? I mean, I, I think he has no problem sharing the, the work with Chase Edmonds. Sure. But if you're going to tell him, we're only going to pay you so much because you're sharing the time, yeah, then, then you're going to have, you might have an issue there. Again, I don't, I don't think this is going to come down for James Conner to having him say, uh, I need all the carries, and I want to get paid like that. But if another team comes along and says, we are going to give you all the carries, and thusly we're going to pay you X amount of dollars, and the Cardinals don't want to go there, I mean, if you're James Conner, you almost have to leave. I mean, running backs in this league have a very short shelf life, and let's face it, both these guys were banged up. Uh, James Conner lasted most of the season, but he got hurt, and that was part of the issue of why Pittsburgh let him walk away. And as much as uh, I think I know I love Chase Edmonds, and I think you guys really love his game too, let's face it, the times when he's really had to be used a lot, he ended up hurt for part of the time. So that's something you have to keep in mind, not only in terms of how many backs you have on your roster to be able to shoulder the load, but also when you're paying them. James Conner, and I have to remind myself of this, he's not a 30-plus-year-old running back either. He's no. in his prime. He's yes. 26, 27 years yes. of age. Same with Chase Edmonds, obviously, in his prime. Just wrapped up his initial four-year deal. Here's the head coach and play caller, Cliff Kingsbury, on those two running backs set to be free agents. Huge fans of both those guys. I mean, you can't ask for two guys that, that work harder, um, do things the right way. You know, they're, they're dialed in each and every day, and, and uh, they both earned – good deals as far as I'm concerned I, I hope that we can afford both guys because um, they both had fantastic seasons and, and they deserve to to get nice contracts but I would love to have them both back I think they complement each other really well yeah and, and, and I agree Wolf I mean Cliff Kingsbury you know once he re- especially once he realized also that James Conner could catch the ball oh my goodness because they became interchangeable, seriously, with Chase Edmonds and James Conner. I thought that was absolutely huge. Guys, I, I just I, I want to reminisce just a little bit. I want to go back to when the Arizona Cardinals were 7-0. and Go back to the 5-0, and as a matter of fact, after five games and looking at Max Williams as the tight end. Mm-hmm. Max Williams in 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers. When you had DeAndre Hopkins, you had A.J. Green, you had Christian Kirk. You had Max Williams as your stud tight end, and then you had James Conner and Chase Edmonds. I'm t- guys, right now, that to me is when this offense was absolutely at its best in rundown situation. First and 10, second and 1 to 6. And the reason why I say that is because they were so balanced. They could use that personnel group on first and 10, and you had no idea if it was going to be a run or if it was going to be a pass. And they ran the ball in a physical way, and they could do it with Max Williams as their stud tight end. Now that's that. That's a great point. You're right. I mean, how many times were they a step ahead of the defense? And that was when Max Williams was part of their their personnel sets. There, there's no doubt about that. And then if you flip it, Darren, uh, you the other big question comes at linebacker. Obviously, where would the Cardinals have been on defense without Jordan Hicks? 
Think about that. Think of how close he was perhaps to going to another team when upon the drafting of Zayvon Collins, he was told he wouldn't even have a chance at that point to compete for his starting spot. Instead, he led the team in tackles, him and Jalen Thompson right up the top near for the entire season. And, I mean, he was absolutely the beating heart of that defense. He wore the green dot. How do you see the inside linebacker spot, especially with those two guys joining him, former first-round picks in Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins? All right. I think that's that's something definitely to watch. I mean, for Jordan Hicks to go from uh, basically hearing that he wasn't going to start uh, to asking for a trade to playing the most snaps on defense all season is kind of an amazing turn of events. But um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, Jordan Hicks was asked the other day if he was going to ask for a trade again because he is under contract for another year. He said it was too early for him to comment on that. He didn't know kind of where everything was going to go. Obviously, Zayvon Collins did not play a whole lot of defense down the stretch, and the last couple times he did play, the majority of his snaps were on the outside. Um, and we were talking about whether Chandler Jones comes back. Is it possible that they think about putting him outside instead? I mean, that's what happened with Hassan Reddick. I, I don't know uh, how that's going to go. I mean, even Isaiah Simmons, uh, you know, bounced around, played a bunch of different places, um, you know, they they praised him all season. He played a ton of snaps. I did think there were times when I was watching Isaiah Simmons that I still feel like he's still trying to figure out where he needs to be in space sometimes uh, as an inside linebacker. But um, when you spend first-round picks on these guys, that's that you, you need something from them, and you need something quickly. So, you know, do they move on from Jordan Hicks saying we've got to have these two first-round picks as our guys? I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch play out. The one thing I want to see is Isaiah Simmons continue to grow. He was having, to me, a great first half of the season. I don't know about you, Derb, how you feel about that, but I thought he was having a great uh, first half of the season. And then all of a sudden, I would say maybe down the last five, six games of the season, he just really started overrunning. A lot yeah. of tackles and, and in the open field, he, he looked lost. Now, he made the unbelievable play because he's so incredible athletically, made the great play where he punched the ball out on Dak Prescott, how big of a play that was. But man, he, he, he seemed to regress to me in the open field in particular over the last five or six games. Guys, I just want to say this quickly. If, if I were the Arizona Cardinals, and believe me, Vance Joseph in the defense, they know way more than I'll ever know, and they're going to do the right thing by Isaiah Simmons. But I just get this feeling, guys, that I'd love to stick him at the weak side linebacker and tell him, I want, I want you to master this position. I, you know I've been talking about this. I know everyone loves to move him around, but I want you to master this position, and that means taking on fullbacks. Because he's not afraid. He isn't. I think he's, his mind has got to be trained to be a killer on the inside. It's, it's funny that you, you bring up uh, how he may have regressed a little bit. I mean, let's face it, Wolf. You tell me. Who, who would you look on, on both sides of the ball and not feel that way at yeah, least a little y- bit? Yes. No, you're right about that. He wasn't alone in that regard. You're absolutely right. I'll say this about Zayvon Collins, too. If they bring back Jordan Hicks, Jordan Hicks will beat out Zayvon Collins again, especially if Vance Joseph is the defensive coordinator. I'm pretty confident in saying that. 
you had Sam McCollum. Paulie, you know what? It's a good point. The one thing I don't want to see, though, is don't move him outside again. I, I mean, I, you know, this is Hassan Reddick part two. He wasn't uh, I, even he wasn't even the backup to Jordan Hicks this year. I mean, Tanner Vallejo and Joe I, Walker I played above Zayvon Collins. I, I know, but I know this guy's got all sorts of ability as well, and sometimes you just got to throw somebody out there and you just got to let them sink or swim. And, and that's, what, that's what Jordan Hicks said. Somebody asked Jordan Hicks if Jordan wasn't around next year, does he think Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins are ready to be those guys? And he basically said, yes, I think they can do it. But he, he, he went on to say... Because that's what you drafted them for, and at some point you just got to stick them out there, and they've got to get it done. And so maybe that happens. Maybe they move on from Jordan Hicks just to force Zayvon Collins to have to play. I don't know, and I don't know how that leaves you as a defense. All right, Darren, you're you're on the hook right now. Where do the Cardinals go with the 23rd pick overall? <laughs> Come on now, like let's the, go. I, I think the pass rush is is definitely in play, but I also think an offensive lineman like a guard would be in play, and maybe a wide receiver if somebody falls. I mean, we can talk all day about the defense, but I do think they need some pieces on offense. This offense needs to get more consistent. Give me a guard. Give me a guard. I'll take that all day right now. I don't even care. Number 23 in the third round. Give me a big slobber knocker, some butt gut that'll come off the ball and just drill somebody. Tell you with 99 in your division and, and the likes of Nick Bosa who moves around the defensive front. Yeah, I, I'm not against that. So, Darren, thank you for the time. Thanks, Derb. And the insight. Right, there you go. Darren Urban, Cardinals Insider, azcardinals.com. We'll come back. Uh, Wolf, I have a couple more theories I'm going to earhole you with next on the <laughs> Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. 23rd. Part of sports is that you get to enjoy the highs, but then you also have to live with the lows and you hope to have less lows and highs obviously but you know if you're gonna if you're gonna ride high and if you're gonna enjoy the good times and if you're gonna be confident and excited during the good times you also got to be you know when it goes bad you take that too so I mean, I'm not gonna stand up here and not take my lumps I mean we we didn't do what we were supposed to do we started the season great and we finished the season terrible JJ Watt in the trust tree with the media and the fans after the playoff loss in L.A. Zach Ertz at it at one point, telling the media, look, it's going to sting. I want guys to feel this sting. Yes. So we wrap up this edition of the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. Why do you say yes, Ron Wolfley? Just because, once again, that's where you've got to start. You want every player to characterize the season exactly, exactly like J.J. Watt just did because he's telling the truth. When you start 10 and 2, Paulie, when you start 10 and 2 and then you finish 1 and 5 including how they played in that playoff game, that's a massive failure. And I think that should drive every player that is coming back. You should be driven. And if you're not driven, if you don't feel that, you need to go. Especially coming off a year where you started six and three and then lost five of your last seven. So, right. you know, like right. we talked about in the team playing, Cardinals are going to get, Cardinals could start eight and three, nine and three. No one's going to believe it until <laughs> they prove it in December and January of next year. Yes. And to do that, well, you're going to have to bolster the roster because guess what? The NFC West is the NFC best. You are in the best division in football. Here's Cliff Kingsbury on some of those items they're going to have to check off. 
we've got a lot of work to do and we want to be better and finish strong and all of those things but um, we definitely improved dramatically in the first three years and we're hoping to do the same next year and, and we're going to have to the NFC West is a challenge year in and year out with great players and um, great teams and uh, we, we got to make some, some real progress if we want to keep up Is there a next step for the head coach? Yeah, you know what? I, I believe so, Paulie, to your question. Uh, I believe that the next step for Cliff Kingsbury is being the alpha male in the room. I think that is the next step for Cliff. Now, again, Paulie, when I say that, that doesn't mean that he has to turn into a screamer. No, he does not have to turn into a screamer. It, it doesn't mean he has to act like a jerk, Paul. He does not. But for me, he's got to be the definitive voice that is inside that locker room. He's got to be the alpha. And once again, I'm not talking about walking around and acting all bad and everything. Because that's not Cliff. That's not who he is. But Paul, Bill Belichick never walked around like that. Yet everybody knew he was the alpha in the room. And I think that's important in Cliff's development as a head coach in the NFL, taking that next step. We saw a lot of that when they started 7-0, and 10-2. Right. Did we not? Yes, we, you, you're right. We witnessed that on the sideline. Chase Edmonds told us on this very show that he personally fed off the yes. head coach and, and the increased intensity. So yes. it, it, it's also confounding, you know, as to exactly how to diagnose what happened. But internally, I'm guessing they know. And they've already set out about how to correct it going into next year. Speaking of, you can join the Cardinals season ticket priority list for the 2022 season. Go to azcardinals.com slash priority list for more information. Special thanks, Darren Urban, Ron Wolfley, I'm Paul Calvisi. Special thanks, as always, to Jim Almohundro and Jeff Darge. This has been the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. been listening to the big red rage presented by santan ford in gilbert are you santan ford state farm talk to an agent today at 800 state farm and by arizona cardinals podcasts visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts this has been an exclusive presentation of the arizona cardinals football club